Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about grief, especially in the context of COVID-19. So canceled fertility cycles and face-to-face appointments, bodywork sessions, baby showers, having as many people as you want at your birth, a postpartum surrounded by a loving village. These are just a few of the anticipated experiences that you may have lost during these times. And all that loss can be bringing up a lot of grief. So how can you work with your body to process that grief along with the anxiety and fear you may be carrying? Will all this result in trauma? Parajat Despande has answers. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Birthful. If what you hear is helpful, do make sure you subscribe. It is free and that way you won't miss a thing. All right, so I've been feeling extra frustrated lately by the lack of good birthing options at the moment. People don't want to go into the hospital for obvious reasons, but our maternity system isn't set up to provide broad access to out-of-hospital births. We just don't have enough midwives or birth centers, and opting for a last-minute unassisted or self-directed birth out of fear doesn't quite provide the time required for optimal preparation or even the grounded place from which to make that decision. That it's not a decision to be made rashly um, and maybe not out of grief, which is something that we're all experiencing and we're going to be talking about today. So I have been ruminating on this for a few weeks now on this frustration of lack of birth options as I hear people at different points in their reproductive journeys share how much they're having to compromise and even give up regarding their fertility, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum wishes. And... I had intended to do a completely different episode today when inspiration hit while I was listening to a recent episode that Brene Brown did with grief expert David Kessler on her podcast, Unlocking Us. And that was just such a like aha moment of, oh my goodness, of course, all this that we are feeling, that's a lot of grief coupled with a good dose of anxiety and fear. So now that we've named it, what do we do with it? Fortunately, I have just the right person to turn to with these types of questions. I'm talking about high-risk pregnancy specialist and somatic trauma professional Parajat Despande, who was gracious enough to adjust her schedule for a last-minute recording two days ago so we could make this episode happen. So thank you, Parajat. And I really hope that this episode is just what you need right now. And if so, do let me know by sending me an email at info at birthful.com. I'd really like to hear about it. All right. So here we go. Welcome, Parajat. It is so lovely to have you. I've I've lost track of how many times you've been here, which is like, I'm so happy about that too. (laughs) I know. Likewise. It's always so fun to chat with you. And when I was trying to tackle this 
this topic, of course I thought of you and I said, who's my favorite person to talk about emotional stuff that actually understands that physiological component. So I appreciate having you in my life. And how have you been in, in these times? Oh, you know, we're, I think we're getting through it just like everyone else. It's been quite an adjustment. It's been interesting how much it has brought back the first time we were on lockdown when my son was home from the NICU. There's so many similarities to that. And uh, kind of tapping back into what we learned from that time to make this time a little bit easier. Mm. What are some of those things you, you're tapping into? Uh, really relying on FaceTime and now Zoom exists. So Zoom to really create that sense of connection. It doesn't replace in-person connection, but we are just filling our days with connecting with people. That was my biggest sanity saver the first time around is being able to see people's faces and talk to them and just have them there, in, even if it was on my phone. Uh, so that has been tremendously helpful. And then being able to add something fun every single day. It doesn't have to be anything big. It, you, sometimes it's just a small little dessert that the three of us share, or it's eating outside for lunch when the weather is beautiful or something like that. But trying every single day to add something that's just for pleasure and nothing else. Oh, I love that. Yes, I need more of that. The the right? Zoom thing, I got to say, like, we each fill our cup in different ways. And I d like that's starting to stress me out. I actually oh. I, I prefer not having a Zoom face to face with everyone every day. Like that's not something I need. I need oh, actual so interesting. time alone. I need to like, I recharge by yes. being alone and then yes. come back. So um, I went for a walk today and, and it's a work day first thing in the morning. And I was like, you know what? It's going to rain later. So now I am doing a walk because I want later. Oh, good for you. So there was, I appreciate that something fun and out of the norm, stepping out of the norm. Yeah, something about shaking up the schedule and the routine just feels really good. That novelty, something that your brain's not quite anticipating, can feel really good, even mm. at a time like this. And yeah, and giving yourself the permission to do that too. Yes. Yes. Totally. And a lot of that giving permission is what we're going to be doing in this episode. Giving <laughs> yeah. permission to all the feelings that we're feeling, because it's a lot right now. Oh, it is a lot. Yes. So uh, this episode was inspired by uh, a, a, an episode that I heard um, recently. It was Brene Brown and her new podcast talking with David Kessler about grief. Mm. And uh, a lot of people associate grief with the loss of a loved one. But I think mm -hmm. you both of us have a more broad definition of the feeling. And I think like that's the first place we need to start. Um, because I feel that many of the people we serve, these pregnant families, these expecting families and new families are going through a lot of grief. And so how would you define grief? Yeah, I we're totally on the same page. It grief is a an experience that we have after loss. And I think where we kind of lose the the broadness of that definition is we assume loss is only loss of life. That is a tremendous loss. 
absolutely no question. If anybody's heard me on your podcast, you know, I've talked about that multiple times, but also that loss can be non-death losses too. That's what we call them, non-death losses, where it's a loss of anything, loss of identity, loss of freedom, loss of choice, loss of intimacy, loss of connection. I mean, there's loss of financial stability. I mean, there's so many things, especially when we consider the context that we're in right now. Loss is loss is loss. And we say that when it comes to miscarriage at four weeks versus miscarriage at 14 weeks. You know, we're trying to show parents that you don't have to justify your loss when you have one. And the same is true for non-death losses. Now, I what I'm not trying to say is I'm not equating, say, a miscarriage to loss of financial stability. What I'm saying is those experiences have their own level of intensity and gravity, but physiologically, we experience them very similarly when it comes to looking specifically at grief. And we will get more into the physiology, but I guess it's similar to like when your body goes into fight or flight, you, it, it, it reacts to in the same way, regardless of the stressor, it feels it's a bear coming to attack you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, even if absolutely. it can be, you know, something that stressed you that was not life-threatening, but your body's still feeling it at that level and that's how it reacts physiologically. So is it the same for grief that your body reacts, reacts in the same way regardless of the particulars of what loss you're experiencing? Yeah, on on a broad level, absolutely it does. That loss is loss, and when it's when it's an important loss that we have, and what's important varies for all of us. Then yes, our body experiences that emo- that that it, those sensations that we call grief the same way. Now, of course, when we're talking about say a miscarriage, there are other layers to that, right? Hormones change and you've got your body shifting and you have a lot of other experiences tied to that. But if we're looking at just the loss itself, our body doesn't know the difference. If it's meaningful to us and we lose it, then we have the the same experience physically and it feels very, very similar, if not the same. Mm, right. And I, I can appreciate the different levels of, the, you know, the intersectionality of, say, trauma or other things that can come into play um, to affect your experience. Right. Right. And and as a doula, I'm very aware we we talk about this with our with our clients all the time about, you know, when birth plans go out the window, you might and people say, oh, but you had a cesarean or whatever, you know, whatever it was, what didn't go according to plan, uh, but you, you're healthy and you have a healthy baby. And it's kind of dismissive of the stuff that you wanted and didn't get. That, Absolutely. that is a loss. Like you can both Absolutely. be happy for your kid and be happy that you're healthy and everybody's safe, but mourn the things that you, that you were envisioning and are no longer. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. In in my book, Pregnancy Brain, I share in the grief chapter, one of the things I was mourning was not being able to have a maternity photo shoot. And I shared that specifically because it seems so 
superficial. It seems so tiny in the grand scheme of things, but I really wanted readers to understand exactly what you're saying is that if you envision something and it was important to you, you don't have to justify why it was important to you. It doesn't matter. It was important to you and you couldn't do it or you couldn't have it or you had it and then you lost it. And that in and of itself deserves to be mourned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me. So David Kessler had in that in that episode of, of Brene Brown's podcast, he was saying about how the biggest loss is your loss. Yeah. Right. It's because yeah. you're that's the one you're experiencing. It's not about comparing with other people. It's you. You're feeling this one, not everybody else's. Right. Absolutely. And I'll add to that, too. It's not about comparing everybody else's and it's not about comparing your other losses, too. So, you know, I, I hear from a lot of women right now who are who are pregnant and they're scared. And of course, there's so much happening right now to be scared about. And they're not getting a chance to, say, have their maternity photo shoots or deliver in the way or in the place that they want to. But because they have a history of, say, miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy, stillbirth, they go, well, I can't like th- this is so dumb to to focus on because at least I'm pregnant and I'm you know farther along than I've ever been before for example and yes that's something absolutely to be enjoyed and to celebrate 100% amazing and that doesn't take away from the fact that you still are losing something this time around and that deserves to be mourned and you deserve to have the space and to create that space for yourself to mourn this too and you don't have to compare it to other losses that you've experienced prior to this moment. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that because in the context of this pandemic, we've all lost a lot, but we may be having a hard time naming it because we don't think about it as grief as we're having mourning for these experiences that have changed. So why don't we name some of the things that people in in our maternity spectrum, whether they're trying to conceive pregnancy, about to give birth, postpartum, what? What are some of the things they might be grieving? You're more in the realm of trying to conceive in pregnancy, and I hang out more in the giving birth postpartum. So I think between the two of us, we're going to come out with a lot of things that have changed. I think so. I think so. I think if we start with uh, couples who are trying to conceive, the the biggest one that I think of is a, a loss of control of your choices in terms of timeline. There are so many clinics that are putting cycles on hold, who are um, postponing cycles, who have canceled cycles mid-cycle and said, well, we'll, you know, we'll continue when it feels a little bit safer. We're allowed to begin again. That can come with a loss of uh, finances and um, tremendous amount of loss of a dream, right? If you have been building up until this time to prepare for an embryo transfer or an IUI at some point, and you kind of have started imagining what the next steps would look like, that entire dream is now taken away. And that's a tremendous loss right there. I think for for couples who maybe even are not going through fertility treatment and are trying to conceive on their own, whether you have fertility challenges or not, there's a loss of certainty and a loss of security and safety. Now the question becomes, okay, well, let's try to have a baby. The plan was to try to have a baby sometime this year. And now the next question beyond that is, is it safe to do that? 
Is it okay to do that? Should I be, should we even, and those kinds of questions are not ones you ever anticipated having to ask, especially if you don't have a history or any reason to consider that there might be a safety issue for you to be pregnant. And so that, that lack of certainty, that lack of safety is a really big one for, for couples that are trying to conceive. I think in addition to that, I think for probably across the board for both of our communities, just general loss of financial stability. So if that impacts your family building decisions, that's really hard right there. And that there's a tremendous loss of of that security that you might have been counting on. Maybe one or both of you have taken pay cuts or maybe one of you has lost your job or some you're furloughed or something to that effect. Maybe you have some money tied up in a clinic and they're not able to give it back, but and you know you're going to need it some other time. And there's just so many nuances to that aspect of it. And another one I think that crosses across the board is just loss of support. Maybe you were used to, I, I remember when I was going through fertility treatment, my fertility clinic was my lifeline. They were the only people who understood what I was going through. And similarly, uh, really, it ended up being throughout the pregnancy, each team along the way through the, all the way up through the NICU, they became your, your support. And if you have cycles canceled, if you have appointments that are delayed, if you are pregnant, a lot of appointments are now being moved online and they're only bringing you in for the appointments you absolutely have to do in person, you might that lose that sense of security in being able to connect with that team of people that is helping you feel safe during your pregnancy. So that's a really big one. And then there's other, you know, lifestyle aspects that are really hard and very real, I'm finding in my community as well. The loss of uh, baby showers is a really big one that I see frequently, especially for women who are pregnant after loss who are pregnant after infertility, who maybe have been trying to conceive for so long. Maybe this is the longest they've been pregnant. They've never had a baby shower. They're pregnant after preterm delivery. This was going to be like the one celebration. And now it's all canceled or it's all moved virtual and it doesn't feel the same. And that's a tremendous loss in and of itself. Uh, The loss of, and you can speak a lot to this too, the loss of options for delivery for labor and delivery, the loss of uh, security and certainty, the loss of birth plans being followed. Um, and then certainly if, if partner's not allowed to be in the room, that's a, that's a tremendous loss in and of itself too. Yeah. And we're seeing that a lot, right? And it's, it, it's unfortunate that we're starting to, at some point with those losses, not having good options. Um, yes. In terms of, say, place of birth, the for everybody who thought the we're always saying physiologically for birth to flow, you need to feel feel safe, secure, and supported. Right. And generally, when you're choosing your place of birth, the common denominator is choose the place where you'll feel the most there. And for some people, for a lot of people, that's usually pre-COVID times the hospital. Mm-hmm. But now we're getting into a situation where things are changing day to day because even providers don't know what to do and hospitals administrators are adjusting and you don't know if you're going to be in the same floor as other COVID patients or is is the hospital the safest place to go in if you're low risk and healthy to expose yourself to this and you know will policy change and suddenly you're 
partner will not be able to come in or now your doula has to be virtual there's that was a big loss to the community Mm, totally Um, and and also there was even a hospital they they quickly backtracked but a hospital in in canada last week was suggesting quote unquote it, it wasn't much of a suggestion it was suggesting that everybody that was going to deliver have an epidural because of I did anesth- see that right because of anesthesia um limitations of uh, personnel and if they didn't agree to that or didn't like that suggestion then they could go somewhere else you don't have a choice to go somewhere else where say there's not enough midwives to go around so you can have right. home births or enough birth centers like it's not much of a choice so that's a that's one loss that i am struggling with um Ooh, yes in terms of supporting my community because you can't you know it's not like well you can't hang out in zoom and be you know what I mean? There's not like an equivalent <laughs> solution for that. That's like, well, it's not great, but good enough. Like this is right. really like, oh, what are we doing? Um, and then all the there's that aspect of birth. Will you be separated from your child right. once they're born? Um, yep. If there was a, a, a friend of a friend who was concerned about if there's separation and my baby needs to go to the NICU. Yeah. Um, and then is it going to be that the for the first few days of their life, they're only going to see people in masks with gowns and gloves? Mm-hmm. Like, where's that loss of human touch, which is super important at a neurological and survival level for newborn yeah so it starts to get you know we can go from everything from the more mundane not less important but more mundane to things that are can be life or death right absolutely yeah yeah and then there's the postpartum aspect of it too where we talk so much about having a village and now you have to distance distance from your village and get really creative on who's going to come and help you and how there's one thing that really was also breaking my heart was moms whose partners were high risk for covid who wouldn't be allowed to provide support then would have to go to seek out a, a backup support person right sure down the yeah. line and it's, it's suggested that you have one or two or three people just in case that they were having a hard time finding that backup within their family extended family and networks sure. because they don't want to go to the hospital absolutely right i can see that so lots of different things that we are losing in the context yes. of this pandemic and our choices um yes. And it's important to say that we're grieving, that it's okay to grieve these losses, and that's the feelings we're having. So since we're having these feelings, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to know what are some ways that this grief can manifest. We'll be right back. And we're back talking with Parajat Deshpande. And so we've established that we're definitely experiencing a lot of grief. Um what are some ways in which that grief can manifest? It can show up in a lot of different ways. I think when we hear the word grief, the first thought that comes to mind is crying, right? And so that is certainly one way. It is not the only way. You can be grieving without crying as well. But there's 
Uh, it can show up as just bursting out into tears. Sometimes you can feel it coming. Sometimes it's just blindsides you and the tears come. It can feel, uh, it can feel and come out in a lot of different physical ways as well. Um, you might have a sense of like your stomach is dropping or your heart just feels heavy. I've heard clients describe it as their whole body just feels really heavy or they feel tired. They feel fatigued. You know, there's uh, you can have he certain headaches. You can have a re-inflammation of your autoimmune diseases or chronic illnesses. That can certainly happen. Uh, emotionally also, it might show up as anger. Or it might show up as frustration or overwhelm, feeling hopeless or feeling helpless. There's so many different ways that it shows up. And um, I think that's why it's so hard to pinpoint also, because it's confounded by so many other factors that are happening that you might find yourself going, why am I feeling this way? Or I don't know why this is happening. Are you waking up every morning and you've had a good night's sleep, but you're just exhausted and it's not the amount of sleep that's helping with your fatigue. And that's a that's a really common one that I'm seeing right now. Oh, and that happens to me all the time. And I like my husband's sick and tired of us and me asking, like, why am I so tired? I slept. <laughs> I slept. Really. Why am I so tired? <laughs> yeah. You know, grief is a physiologically taxing experience. That's the kind of bare bones of it. Honestly, it is taxing on the body to be grieving and that's why it's so important to allow us to do it because our body is also capable of resolving grief on its own when we give our give ourselves the opportunity to release it and i think that's one of the most fascinating things about grief that i love is that we just we have the built-in mechanism to actually digest it and process it and release it we just have to stay out of the way to be able to do that and one of the ways to do that is exactly what you're doing with this episode is giving people the permission to say, yeah, it is absolutely okay and it is necessary to acknowledge this and to grieve it. And I, well, so I was going to ask you, like, what are some ways? What are some things you can do? But giving them permission, but I think also the understanding that it's a necessity. Yes. That because if you don't acknowledge and give that grief, the opportunity to go through your body to experience it to feel it so you can heal it you know that saying mm -hmm. what happens if you try to just ignore it i'm trying to think of the best analogy it's it's like uh like a pressure cooker where you don't if you have an instant pot and you don't actually set it to venting <laughs> Uh, or if you've got some kind of pressure cooker, but it doesn't actually let the steam out, it all goes inside. And so there are plenty of studies that show unresolved grief is tied to many health complications that come up. And when we're talking about this before conceiving, during pregnancy and after, I mean, we're talking about pretty high stakes here in terms of what it could do to your body. And and so that's why it's so important to allow yourself to experience it, to process it, and to let it go. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what to do, how to, how to process it, how to let it go, you said, you know, understand that it is a necessity. Give yourself permission to feel what you're feeling. What are some other ways that people can yeah. acknowledge? Yeah. 
You know, this is, again, this is, I, if you knew me from graduate school, you know, grief is like the thing that I love. Trauma is now tied to this. I have very strange. <laughs> Good <laughs> thing you have a great sense I enjoy. of humor because. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so, I mean, I, I bring this up because since graduate school, I mean, I did my, my graduate thesis in grief and bereavement and because I was fascinated by how, what is the difference between people who experience a loss, whether it's a death loss or a non-death loss, and those who don't. And what is the difference between the people who uh, are able to digest it and release it versus the people who hold on to it? And it becomes uh, what is called complicated bereavement. I don't love that term. I don't even like that it's even in the DSM, but that's a whole other conversation. But um, where it essentially results in health complications, both either emotional or physical. And what we have found is, it, and it sounds so simple, and it is, what we have found is if you can experience the grief in a relaxed muscle body, your body will know what to do with it. It is when we experience grief and we're tight, when we hold our breath, when we don't want to feel it and we brace ourselves for the wave that's coming next, when we try to stuff the tears back in, when we go, no, 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 that doesn't count. That's not that bad. The other thing is worse. And we don't allow for it. It actually, that is where it gets stuck. And it's the survival stress that gets stuck inside the body. And that's where we see health problems come from. Mm. The only way through it is through. It really is. It really is. It sounds so cliched, but with with grief, it really is. I, I was working with a client last year on this with um, after she'd experienced multiple losses, some death, some non-death losses. And truly, it is magical to see. I don't like the word magical because it sounds like you can't control it, but it I mean it magical in like, wow, uh, in in how you can actually experience it. If you think of grief like waves, at the beginning, they are huge. They're intense and they come very often, right? And that's where we often lose it because we go, oh God, I don't want to feel that anymore. That's terrible. And yes, it is. It is absolutely terrible. And if you are able to get your body to actually let it flow through you, and I know that sounds really woo, but what I mean by that is actually noticing where there's tightness and relaxing those muscles as the wave is coming. It's simple. It's not easy to do. So if you're trying it at home and you're trying it and you're like, I don't know, I don't get this, it's okay. It's it's not necessarily easy, but it is simple. And if you can get it, what happens is, the wave will come, you'll feel it, it will feel terrible. And pretty soon after you'll come out of it, and you will feel better. And then the waves will come again. And at the beginning, they're crunched up and intense, and they come pretty frequently, and they feel really, really awful. And as you experience that over and over, they on their own, become less frequent, and they become less intense. And you'll notice it because you'll have moments that had been triggering you before that suddenly go, oh, wow, I handled that better than I thought. 
it's not a matter of matter of handling it. It's because you have released it. And so it is no longer actually triggering you where it had before. And if you can see, if you can experience that happening, I saw this with this client last year that every time she'd be like, are you sure? And I'm like, hang in there, feel through it. It actually reminded me a lot of um, contractions Mm -hmm. (laughs) during delivery. You just, you've got to feel through it. And unlike contractions that get stronger and closer together, this goes the opposite way. And your body knows how to do that. But it can only do that if you are feeling safe and you are in a relaxed muscle body. Well, and it seems as I'm hearing you talk, of course, I'm reminded of birth. And it feels like your body knows what to do and has the protective mechanisms in it to heal you. Yes. No matter what. You just have to get out of the way and allow physiology to happen. And That's it's it just is. like, I, as you're explaining what needs to happen and you need to do, I think it can also be a great practice because for practice for birth, because you need to do very similar things in terms yes. of physiology to yes. let the contractions go flow through you and not resist them but go and explore them and see what it's like and relax your body because if you tighten you create more pain yes i mean that's a hundred percent it that's Hmm. exactly it and then and this reminds me also i did an episode um i can't beginning of this year i think uh it's hard to remember when I recorded it and when it came out. <laughs> like, know, when, when did I hear point. it? Yeah, when did I hear it? But when did you guys hear it? Um, with Leslie Everest on the um, the biological necessity of shaking during birth mm-hmm. and how it's part of the to close the cycle and release yeah. the stressful hormones and release yep. the trauma and release it's a protective mechanism. And if you hinder or try to stop the shaking and not acknowledge that it's part of that healing process of the body, you then the body is still revving because that yep. wasn't released. And then you're stuck yep. with that as, as you go into parenting and postpartum. I'll list yep. it on the show. Exactly. Notes. Yeah. That's, that's a thousand percent it. And it, it's exactly completing the cycle. There is, uh, if you can imagine, I'm, I'm drawing it in the air, you can't see it, but if you imagine like a, you know, one of those bell curves, right? And you have to go all the way through from start all the way to the intensity, all the way out. And to come all the way out, you have to release everything that that is being dumped into your body and shaking is a fantastic example of that if you you know when when we go into surgery the shaking that comes from that is our body doing that and the the problem that we run into is oftentimes for whatever reasons there may be there are multiple reasons we try to stop that shaking and when we do that we actually keep that survival stress inside and like you said it carries over into parenthood it does not go away with time. It goes away with release. And so you, if you can do it sooner, then you're, it's gone. It's, li- it's just gone from your body. And, and you, you're not holding on to that anymore. You have the memory of it. Certainly, that doesn't go away. But that charge that comes with it is no longer there. Hmm. Let's take another break. But when we come back, I want to know what does grief do to our nervous system? 
and does it trigger survival mode? We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed, in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. And we are back talking with the wonderful Parajat Dispenda. And I just love hearing you talk. I just want to dip into your brain and stay there. (laughs) (laughs) Swim around. Well, yeah, you just you just get me. You speak my vibe. So um I know. We're totally on the same wavelength. It's I, so cool. Yes, I hope I hope listeners enjoy this. Double the trouble. Um so <laughs> physiologically, what does grief do to our nervous system and how does it relate to the survival mode? Because it's not quite the same from what you described of the body manifestations. So I'm very curious. 
Yeah. So grief in and of itself does not necessarily trigger survival mode. Uh, and I think that's a really important distinction to have because grief is a completely separate experience. And so what it actually, what we see is more, it affects the immune system. We see a, a higher rate of inflammatory markers circulating through the blood when we are grieving so that those waves that we're talking about that come intensely at the beginning come with a shift in our immune system, which will then will affect our endocrine system slightly, which could impact our nervous system and other body systems slightly. But it, it doesn't um, necessarily go take us into survival mode in and of itself. When that happens is when grief is tied to, and so, and not just grief, but the loss is tied to an experience or a perception that your life or, or your baby's life in this case is in danger, which in our world happens a lot more often than other types of death and non-death losses that we experience. And especially now in this context, we are... We're seeing that. And so when it's tied together, then we see the activation of our sympathetic nervous system and putting us into survival mode. And so, yeah, considering everything that's going on and that sort of blanket of safety of hospitals, I am safer in the hospital is kind of gone and we're not really finding what's the safest place because culturally, I mean, I'm not saying that home birth is not safe. I'm not saying that birth centers aren't safe. I'm saying there's safety. It's all about risk analysis and where you feel safer. It's wherever the choice that's right for you. So other people can't make that choice for you. Um, but culturally, we believe a lot of people think we're safer in the hospital, but not right now. So that's increasing the experience that your life or your baby's life are in danger. Mm -hmm. which yep. then is it triggering just because of that more of a survival mode and are you seeing more anxiety um yeah. and people showing that to, because survival mode tends to really manifest itself more as anxiety and beyond right but like anxiety is a very good indicator yeah. Anxiety is one of the red flags that we are in survival mode that can look like overwhelm, worrying, you can't stop your thoughts, your heart's racing, you feel restless, your um, your heart's palpitating, you can't fall asleep. You know, a lot of those sensations fall under that umbrella of experiencing anxiety. And then there's the other side of it, which is when we're in that mode, that survival mode of hypervigilance for too long, then our body goes into a uh, shutdown. It's almost like dropping back a gear in the car where we go, The bo your body essentially goes, we can't sustain this any longer. And so it flips and it starts to feel like, and it looks very much like depression, but it doesn't respond to traditional um treatments for depression. So it looks like feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, feeling down, feeling like you're numb, feeling like you're disconnected from the world. It feels like the color is kind of gone from what you're looking out outside the window. Uh, lots of fatigue, just not interested in things anymore. But you're still in survival mode. That's what makes it different is you're still in survival mode. Your body physiologically is still looking for that bear is still looking for that danger trying to get away from it you've just kind of shifted 
gears because you can't sustain that hyper vigilance for that long anymore. And so that's why we see kind of two ways that it's presenting, which I'm seeing so much more of these days. Absolutely. Mm. And so one of the things you you share beautiful Instagram Instagram um, messages because it's more than photos, it's words, and I love them. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate them. And you mentioned something that I have been not personally experiencing, but with with people around me that have high levels of anxiety and are in that survival mode because of different levels of experiences, chronic pain, chronic illnesses, that usually if usually coming from people who don't who aren't in that space and aren't experiencing that constant stress and anxiety the first reaction is take a deep breath take a take a deep breath calm your body (laughs) and it has been very revelatory to me in the past few years to try to understand that sometimes when you're stuck in that survival mode and anxiety Deep breathing does not calm you down. You can't meditate. Like gratitude is not going to improve your mood. (laughs) You're angrier. You can't. And your your inflammation, panic, pain, flares, all of these things. Yeah. And I think it's important to validate that. That, I mean, it happens to my sister too. If I try to say like, go, you know, close your eyes, take a deep breath and stuff. She's like, I can't because there's a bear that's attacking me. Yeah. I'm not going to sit down and meditate. Like my body cannot <laughs> compute this. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. And I think that's where it's so important to have this conversation from a physiological perspective is if we are perceiving danger and that happens way outside of being able to think about it. We don't sit there and go, huh, that brown fuzzy thing looks pretty large, kind of looks like a bear. I think it's coming towards me. Oh, shoot, I should run. By that point, the bear will have eaten you, right? It doesn't work that way. Our body is designed to actually override thoughts, go into the primitive parts of our brain, which kind of tying into the work that both you and I do is required to access in order to have a healthy pregnancy and a smooth delivery, right? You've got to get out of that frontal part of your head. And that happens automatically when you, your brain perceives some type of threat to you or to your baby. And when we're in that zone, the only thing that's working in our bodies are the things that are required to keep us alive. Breathing deeply is not helping to keep us alive. Actually, when we are presented with, say, the bear, you need to be breathing quickly to be able to get yourself to run quickly. Breathing deeply actually goes completely counter to what's supposed to happen physiologically in the the moment of danger. And so the same thing's happening when that danger is, should I deliver in a hospital or not? I am in the hospital. And I don't want to be here. I'm having preterm contractions. I'm having complications. I'm pregnant after infertility and I think I'm going to lose this baby. Whatever that might be, that's a danger. And so you are not experiencing anxiety. It feels very much like anxiety. It is fear. Fear is the physiological experience that we have when there is danger. And that does not respond to anxiety management tools like deep breathing or meditation or gratitude. It doesn't work because it is exactly the opposite of what your body needs to do to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. So then what do you do (laughs) when you're stuck (laughs) in that, right? That you're not, you're in not, yeah, you're not in thriving mode, but in surviving mode. What are some of the yeah. things people can do to help move 
out of that. Yeah, you've got to follow your body's impulses, right? So your body, what I like to tell people, and I say this to all my clients and program members is your body, if you are feeling terrified because there's something that's affect, possibly going to affect you or your baby, your body is working the way that it should. That is exactly what's supposed to happen. And now you have to allow for your body to complete the cycle that we've been talking about. So it's not like you can actually run from your pregnancy, right? There's no place to actually run, but you've got to actually release that energy that your nervous system is dumping into your muscles, getting you to try to run, you've got to release it. You have got to follow the impulses of your body that it is trying to do to get you on the other side of that cycle and complete that cycle entirely. And and that really is the essence of the work. Now, how we do that is very dependent on each person's body and what they need. You know, the actual impulse is different for each person. And so you've got to be very in tune with what's happening inside. And to do that, you have to start feeling safe in your body. Uh, you've got to start reawakening the parts of your brain that are shut off, literally gone offline because they're not essential for survival. You turn them back on. You start noticing the sensations around you. You start noticing your body in time and space. And you really start to experience what does this feeling feel like? You really sit with it. And you give yourself the permission to feel it, just like we were talking about with grief. You feel it. Go, where is it in my body? What does it feel like? And what is it telling my body to do? And then you do it. And in doing that, you are releasing that survival stress and you complete that cycle. Mm -hmm. So just so I hear you right, you first have to come back to being here and now, right? Mm -hmm. In your body, in your space, feeling where you are. And then once that attention is here and not like racing or wherever it's going and just trapped in the fear, then you kind of tune in to your body, to whatever is your path and your sensations to where, what it's asking you to do so that you can release that, that energy, release those hormones, release all that that's yeah. trying to run away and complete the cycle. Right, exactly. Because in nature, what we would do, what that would look like is actually running. And we run, we run, we run as hard as we can and then if we still need to keep running, we'll stop to catch our breath. We'll find a, a safe cave, for example, to hide out and catch our breath. In those moments, we're having repair, right? Our, our body is going into repair mode to try to get ourselves back to a place where we can keep going, right? And it's those moments of repair that are so essential. And I think that's the message that I want people to hear as you're going through this and navigating this is the grief is there. The anxiety is there. Survival mode is there. We're not trying to keep you out of it. We're trying to get you out of it as often as possible for as long as possible during the day. And I think it's completely ridiculous to assume that people will not feel anxious at this time, will not feel afraid at this time. So let's not even have that as the goal. That's not the point. The point is how often can you find those caves? And give yourself and give your body that rest and that reprieve for how long before you have to go out and run again. Well, and I think that's really important because we're putting it all into context of physiology, but it's not a doomsday scenario. We are yes. very resilient. Our bodies are very resilient. And totally. I was thinking when you were mentioning earlier about 
um, how people are doing telemedicine for their prenatals and how that has switched. You know, you can also think of how you approach things as different opportunities of you are in charge of a lot for yourself. So in those prenatal meetings, it's an opportunity to reflect that, hey, wait, there's a lot you can do to take charge of your own health and you can measure your own temperature and you can, you know what I mean? You, totally. It it's very empowering in some ways. Right. It doesn't, it, it sort of brings it back from that. I, I, I'm a big believer of saying the problem with what we're doing to birth right now is that we're all observing it from the outside, including the person giving birth. Like we're measuring, prodding, but it's it's all depending on, you know, will you tell me how dilated I am? Can yeah. you tell? put your hand in my body and tell me what's going on with this process that's so internally deeply mined? Right? Like Isn't how that fantastic. I mean, I love that you said that. But we've outsourced it so much. It's like, whoa, yes. whoa, 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 whoa. You've been carrying this baby for nine months. Your baby is all instincts and beautiful desire to survive and is living in this liminal place of non thought. <laughs> Right. So non-thought. Right. Yes, so you gotta con- <laughs> non-thought. So you got to connect with baby at that level. But you know, you are the expert of your body and your baby. You yeah. know that. So tune into this. And I think, yeah. you know, telemedicine is is providing for uh, space without, for that. Well, and, and, and not not realizing that it's like, oh, wait, here, let me give you this opportunity. Oh, guess right. what? You can take care of this part of yourself here. Right. Um, Right. Yes, yes, exactly. I actually just sent an email out to my list uh, saying exactly that. Like right now, I think you and I were talking about this offline, is there's not a lot of evidence on how to be pregnant and how to deliver uh, in the world of COVID. And so we're looking at data that is very tiny and really can't be generalized. And so we're kind of in a place of, actually, we should really be looking to the woman and seeing what feels right to you. What feels like, what do you need right now? And it's really giving women this opportunity, exactly as you're saying, to turn inwards and say, what is my body telling me that it needs right now? Because I'm not being uh, inundated with messages from other people around me telling me what I need. I am giving this, I'm having this opportunity to turn inwards and say, oh, okay, this is what this feels like. Does that concern me? Yes, I'm going to call the doctor. Does it concern me? Not so much. Okay, I'm going to write it out and see what happens. And of that, the more you tune in, the more you know, right? The more you're familiar with what is your normal and your everything's okay. So then you can know, deeply know if something's wrong to make the choices that are right for you. But from that place, not from a place of fear. Yes, exactly. And I will, I will add too that I, I know when I was hearing messages like this, when I was pregnant, I was like, well, yeah, that's easy to do when everything's going well. Great. What about me? And I'll, I'll say from a personal perspective that it works in a high-risk pregnancy too. It works even when you've got complications. It works when it is your first pregnancy that this was is technically my second, but we lost our first I, at like six weeks. So this was the furthest along I had ever been. 
And even though it was new to me, it still works because it is not based on thought at all. You don't have to make meaning of the sensation. If you really tap into the instincts, you know what you need to do. And that can show up really in being able to uh, differentiate between is this my instinct telling me something's wrong or is this my anxiety? At least in the community that I work with, that's a really important distinction that you're able to make when you turn inwards and really listen. And a lot of people tell me, you know, like, what's this, what's my intuition? What's instincts? I don't even know because that's something we don't value as a culture. Don't. Right? Mm -mm. And one of the things I say to take the woo out of it, it's like, listen, your intuition is a different way of knowing. It's a knowing that's not coming from your thinking brain, but it's coming from the rest of your brain. Like it's still knowledge, but you are tapping into it differently. It's in there. You just have to be in, in almost a different state yourself totally in order to connect but the information's there right yes um, exactly and when you were talking the other thing that i remembered when you were talking in terms of connecting with your body there's this beautiful technique that actually my daughter taught me um when she has high levels of anxiety and it's the first thing it, it connects beautifully to this because it, it for birth for for all that we're living through because it ties you back to the body in the sense that if you're feeling out of control, you can then stop and see five things. So you could say the lamp, the door, the book, the computer mouse. You then feel like touching your body for mm -hmm. things. So your socks, the scarf that you've got on, your hat, your earrings. Then hear three things smell two things and taste one thing so it's five four mm -hmm. three two one mm -hmm. and you went through all your senses and for her that's been incredibly helpful when where take a deep breath does not work yeah yeah exactly it's so much about getting rooted back into your body mm. from that place then you can figure out the knowing Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You turn off the fear and you turn off all the, the alarm bells, then the only voice that's left, that's that's instinct. That's mm -hmm. the one we listen to. And we got right into it. And my question for you was going to be, you know, how can people about to give birth in the current pandemic situation? <laughs> where they may be, you know, terrified of going to the hospital um, and all the things that we talked about. How can they lessen their fear, anxiety, and grief during their hospital stay? So yeah. we've touched upon how to do that. Any other thoughts on that? I think I'll just circle back and say, uh, I wouldn't want you to lessen it. Don't lessen your fear. Don't lessen your anxiety. Don't lessen your grief. That's us trying to put a cap on how much we should be feeling. Mm. I would say, let it come. And in a safe, relaxed muscle body, allow for it to come, flow through, and be released. And allow your body to process it the way that it knows how. And in that, you're going to experience it less and less. You're not lessening but you are experiencing it less because you are digesting, processing, and releasing. Right. So I guess you're 
decreasing the occurrences of by by letting it go through you like your yeah. body is healing okay exactly because you're because what happens is otherwise if we try to lessen it then we're not reacting to new situations we're reacting to the survival stress that's still stuck in there or the grief that's still stuck that keeps coming back up because it needs to be released it's almost like a little um what are those the whack-a-mole game it's like the little thing that pops up and goes hello i'm over here and and we go nope can't nope i don't want to do it i want to feel less of you and so it'll pop up somewhere else mm. instead if you allow it to release the first time or as off as early as you can then it's not going to keep popping up and so the next time it comes up it's because something's actually changed around you as opposed to this old stuff that keeps coming up trying to get your attention which is where we don't want you to be especially during pregnancy and and in labor and delivery mm. i love it and that allows you also then to become come back to center and then yeah. have access to your thinking brain so that you can then consider what other people are telling you and making those decisions and not exactly. being in a place where that brain is not accessible um exactly yeah because you're surviving cool right i love it so <laughs> last question with all of this we've talked about grief we've talked about um survival mode does this mean because we're all experiencing so much grief and our survival mode by be maybe really activated does that mean that people giving birth during a global pandemic are going to experience by default birth trauma i love that you're asking this uh i love this because the the answer is no and that's not a popular opinion it's not actually an opinion but it's not a popular answer because i don't want it to come across that i am downplaying the reality of the challenges and the the real dangers and the, the fear that is in this situation. It's certainly there. Birth trauma and trauma in general happens when we have the survival energy, the sense of danger that is that freezes our nervous system in that place and we cannot get out. The way that we can protect ourselves from developing that or even reducing the risk of it if that's easier to kind of take in and if it's if it seems easier to hear is we go into delivery which means we start in pregnancy or ideally prior to pregnancy by learning how to feel safe in our bodies so that even if there are complications even if there's constantly changing policies even if there is uncertainty even if all the things that are happening, even if it's there, when we are able to then turn inwards, like we've been talking about this entire episode, the rock that we're looking for is right there. And we are trusting the thing, the one thing that has access to the most important information at this time, which is your body. It really doesn't matter what the research is saying. It doesn't matter what the doctors are saying. I mean, of course it does in terms of actual safety to life, but in the end, your body knows what it's doing. And if you can feel safe in your body and you can experience pregnancy and you can experience labor and delivery in a place of feeling safe in your body, even if everything around you is chaos, you have significantly dropped your risk of experiencing birth trauma or you might experience, you might even escape that whole thing completely. And I think that is the coolest thing about the human body, honestly. 
Mm, and I love that it's you saying this because you are a high-risk pregnancy expert and you yourself have gone through many yeah. challenging reproductive experiences. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not like it's somebody who's had... Usually when some somebody says this, it's coming from people who've had a beautiful, wonderful flowing not that complicated birth experience right and then there's like just trust your body right and i'm right. not saying but because it's coming from you in my eyes it gives the body even more credibility because yeah. you didn't experience any of those things and the people you work with your clients don't experience have have higher right. risk and still have those fabulous experiences with as they define it without that much trauma or without trauma being generated because they've done the work up front of exactly. understanding how to trust their bodies exactly it all comes back to that body man it really does doesn't and, it and how great because that's something you can work with and it's going to serve yeah. you for life forever you learn it once you've got it for the rest of your life Ugh. We could talk on forever, but I know. time time is not forever. So <laughs> before we go, is there anything else you want to, regarding the topic that you want to um, make sure the listeners know? I, you know, I think it's just to, kind of what we started with is give yourself the permission to, to feel there's a lot happening right now that's very real and this could go on for who knows how long and things could change for who knows how long we're going to keep learning about how this is impacting pregnancy and fertility and newborns and we're going to keep learning for years on end and the one thing that doesn't change in all of that is you and your instincts that are there and are available to you and are essential to help you navigate this really confusing time. So give yourself the permission to feel, let it come through, trust that your body knows what to do with it, release it, and then you'll be able to hear those instincts. And if you can't do that, and it, or if it's being hard or you don't know how, there is help available. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Absolutely. And I love that people can contact you and reach out. And you have, how long have we known each other? About three years now, maybe more. Um, maybe more. Maybe more. I don't know, actually. I have no sense of time lately, no. so I'm not sure. <laughs> I will link on the show notes all the episodes we've done together because you've shared amazing stories throughout the years with me. Um, but also, you've just created a program to help pregnant people with this you usually work with high risk and sort of trying to conceive um populations but you wrote an amazing book called pregnancy brain and now you're doing a course related to it and it's about to start so i want to make sure people know about this resource please share when is that happening and how can they you know jump in yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that I did write Pregnancy Brain uh, out of my personal experiences. You'll see some of my stories in there and you'll see some client stories and a lot of research that kind of backs up the importance of 
nervous system health and coming out of survival mode. Uh, we call it stress. It's just kind of the colloquial colloquial word, but that's really what's going on physiologically is we're coming out of survival mode, feeling safe in the body from all the different triggers that happen during high-risk, high-anxiety pregnancy. And the course, which is the Pregnancy Brain course, is the natural follow-up to that, which is now, you know, the book is about learning about it. And there are exercises in the back that you can try, but the course is really an experiential version of the book where I go deeper into the the idea of survival mode in pregnancy and give you these really deep, powerful exercises over the course of 21 days. I think it might be a little more than 21, actually, um, where you can actually experience what it feels like to be running away from the bear, but then to find that safe cave, which is really inside of you and giving your body that opportunity to rest and recover and allow yourself to regain some health, to keep going and running from the bear um, to a place of safety. And as you practice that over and over and over, you take that safety with you into labor and delivery when it's time to deliver the baby, whether it's hopefully not preterm, but if it is, then it is, but you can take that with you then or um, whenever baby decides to come. Um, I'm really excited about it. So it starts soon. You can find it on my website at barijatdeshbande.com slash pregnancy brain course. It's one word. And uh, the registration's open, so you can join anytime. And we'll put the link in the UR, the, in the show notes. But can you spell your website's name, which is your name? Absolutely. It's P-A-R-I-J-A-T-D-E-S-H-P-A-N-D-E.com. Fantastic. We'll make sure to link it in the show notes. And I also will link a great article that just came out by Dr. Neil Shaw about oh, how, I love that one. yeah, how difficult it is. Um, well, it's an article, not not the episode, but an article that just came out about him saying how difficult it is to make decisions under COVID as an OBGYN doctor right now because because of what you said, like the data is constantly shifting and how hard it is to practice. So. And how we need to come together with grace and understanding as practitioners, as healthcare providers, as everybody involved in trying to figure this out. Um, so I will link it on the show notes because it's a great, fantastic read. Um, and yeah, I'll link your stuff as well. Thank you. Thank you so very much for doing this on such short notice and for helping me understand what we're going through with all this grief and what to do about it. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive A's by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here is what Parajat had for breakfast. I had blueberries in yogurt with chopped almonds. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? 
That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know. 